I know what Bert is going through. It's the loneliest feeling in the world. It's like walking down an empty street listening to your own footsteps. But all you have to do is to knock on any door and say, if you let me in, I'll live the way you want me to live and I'll think the way you want me to think. And all the blinds will go up and all the doors will open and you'll never be lonely ever again. And that is phenomenal. That is from Inherit the Wind, an unbelievably wonderful movie, very principled movie, and that was Spencer Tracy you were listening to. And do you have that struggle in your life? Almost all of us have that struggle, and we've not resolved it, meaning... You want to please other people, you want to please your parents and live the way they want you to live and you want to please your kids and you want to please your husband or your wife and live the way they want you to live and only thing wrong is that all of their different desires for you conflict with one another and they conflict with someone else. Your desires for yourself. And I've had the very sad experience of asking clients, what do you want for yourself? What do you want out of life? You know, what hobbies, what what activities, what career? And they said, you know, I don't allow myself to even think of that question because they're so busy pleasing everyone else. Well, the doors and the windows will open up for you. If you can be your own person and be confident in that, it's not that the doors will all slam. It's that you can become a beacon for other people to also be true to themselves. I'm Dr. Ellen Kenner. My show is The Rational Basis of Happiness. My number is toll-free, 1-877-DR-KENNER, D-R-K-E-N-N-E-R. That's toll-free, 1-877-DR-KENNER. And you can also visit my website, drkenner.com. I've got books I recommend, articles to read. And I'm a clinical psychologist here to answer your questions. And right now, I want to welcome Melody to the show. Melody, you're having some difficulty uh, with your husband? Uh, yes. Uh, not difficulty with him, but <laughs> okay. uh, he was he was just diagnosed uh, with Alzheimer's. Okay. And this has come as a tremendous shock because, um, because he doesn't have any of the, what I would think, would precede it. Um, but he's a very healthy, he's 72 years old. Okay. He's a very healthy man. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't have heart problems. He doesn't have, he's, he really doesn't have any health problems, period. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, anyway, uh, he was diagnosed with this. And so when the doctor told us, um, uh, he was very blunt. Yeah. Uh, as I guess doctors perhaps have to be. <sighs> no bedside manner. Yeah, right. He just said, you have Alzheimer's, I will write a prescription. And um, so <clears throat> I said, well, will you help us strategize what to do? And he said, yes. He said, I will provide the strategy. So that was the end of that session. Um, but I did ask for a second opinion because yeah. he is yeah, our that family was, prep. Yeah, I was going to recommend that. Yeah. Yes, family practitioner. And uh, he said, well, I said, I would like for a neurologist to read the MRI. And yeah. he said, well, it won't make any difference in the picture. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, but I think it won't change the film, right. but perhaps a new set of eyes, right. uh, a different mindset, a different training, a specialist would see it perhaps a little differently. Are mm-hmm. you sure on this diagnosis? And um, he pretty much just, uh, handed the prescription to us and dismissed it. 
Okay, so... So so I felt, uh, I'm just venting, I guess, but I want him to have a second opinion. Oh, there's no question about that. If you get a serious diagnosis like that, any legitimate doctor shouldn't resent that. If anything, they would say, oh, you know, I'd love to get another set of eyes looking at this. Now, I'm not saying he's not a legitimate doctor, but I am saying that his bedside manner could use some warming up a bit, maybe some nice hot chocolate or some, uh, I don't know, apple cider he could use. Uh, (laughs) Or stronger. (laughs) Yeah, but just be happy you're not married to him. Yes. So, so I I am, and I am concerned. And the thing is, uh, and I try, I have disciplined myself to stay offline and not research it too much because uh, that tends to be my mode of operation. But um, I didn't want to scare myself too much. But the the lines you hear is fatal, and um, um, you know, no hope, fatal. Right. You know, and I feel like I do not want. To put myself in a state of denial, I want to be as open to the diagnosis right. as I can be. Right. At the same time, it is terrifying. Right, and and that's exactly right. You're. It's going to take. Let's say that you get the second opinion, and the second doctor confirms that it is Alzheimer's, but your husband's right. still healthy. He may. I'm assuming what, what brought him into the doctor were some memory impairments, or maybe some motor activities well, that were yes, tad off. And, and the interesting thing was, as we prepared, uh, we have made an appointment to see another doctor, good, uh, a neurologist. But Very as good. we prepared to go in, we noticed um, my husband. Um, oh, I'm going to say about. February, mm-hmm. seemed a little down, you know, post-holiday, that kind of thing. And I said to him, do you think you might be depressed? I mean, he's never been depressed. He's right. never had a depression. But he said, well, maybe I am. He said, I just don't feel real good. Yeah. And so um, we went to the doctor, and he did put him on uh, a drug called Bupropion. And um, he took it, and we realized he took it for four and a half months, and we realized that all the symptoms that he had yeah. occurred during those four and a half months. Okay. And so when he went off the program, because I called the doctor and said, can we wean him off of this? I think he's acting a little anxious and a mm-hmm. little confused and a little agitated. And so we went off of it, and um, he got he started to get better right away. I mean, I felt okay. I mean, he just so- got better right away. So. To me, there is a connection there. Yeah, so let me just sum up what I'm hearing, Melody. And that's that you definitely want another doctor to rule out, was it just an adverse reaction to medication that he was put on for, you know, several months, four and a half months or so. And that you definitely want to rule that out because medication, I don't know that particular one, but it definitely can give you different symptoms. I mean, it can, it can mirror a problem that you're, that looks like it's much more serious. Your mind, if it turns out to be Alzheimer's, you do want to prepare your mind for that. And number one, the two of you do need to grieve. I mean, you do need to allow yourselves to cry and to process the fact that if it's the horrible word terminal, it's terminal. And then as after, you know, you can't just push that under the rug and pretend that nothing's happening. You want to do some of that, but you don't want to get bogged down in that just enough to let your mind connect the dots yeah so you're not as you said you don't want to be in a state of denial that's beautifully put but the other thing that you want to do as long as he is 
happy. I mean, not he might not be happy, but as long as he is around, enjoy it to the max. And one of my favorite examples uh, is my grandfather. At the age of 98, he knew he had a terminal illness. You know, he was on his deathbed, essentially, with you know everything plugged in at that age. And I went up to him, and I had read a lot on anticipatory grief and how to deal with it. And it's so important that people still experience that they have choices. And so I'm, you know, going in like the clinical daughter, uh, uh, granddaughter. And I, and so I looked at him and I said, you know, what am I, I was with my uncle and I said, you know, is there anything we can, what can we do for you? Or what would you like to do? And what choice, you know, giving him some choices. And he looked at us and he said, I would love to see a tango. So my uncle and I did a tango for him. Now that has stayed with me for my, you know, from since he died many, many years ago. But what that tells me is that when I'm when I know that I have a terminal illness, I want that attitude to milk everything I can out of life. And that's what you want to do for yourself. You will need to strategize if you're going to be the caretaker, obviously. You do need to have some backup and to prepare to nurture yourself, to start to build a parallel life too. That's what it's called. It's, it's really your life. But have some outside activity, whether it's a book club or something else that you enjoy. You're not abandoning him. You're just being reasonable. Listen, if you can hang on, I'll talk to you during the break, Melody. Okay. Okay. When I entered my marriage, I left my true self at the door. Now I don't even know who I am anymore. My girlfriend doesn't want to make anyone mad. I never know how she truly feels. And I'm clueless when it comes to pleasing her sexually. She won't express what she likes. How many lose themselves in a romantic relationship, feeling unimportant, taken for granted? Or perhaps they lie or cheat and think their partner should forgive and forget. I am Dr. Ellen Kenner, clinical psychologist and co-author with Dr. Edwin Locke of the Romance Guidebook, The Selfish Path to Romance. Provocative title? I know. By selfish, we mean the self-valuing, self-nurturing way to romance. You never want to lose yourself in a relationship. You want to create a win-win partnership to value your own and each other's goals and dreams. Discovering how to be true to yourself in a romantic partnership is learnable and key to romantic happiness. Check out our book with its daring title, The Selfish Path to Romance, at Amazon or SelfishRomance.com. 